Send Round the Hat by Henry Lawson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Son of the Exiles. Send Round the Hat. Now this is the creed from the Book of the Bush. Should be simple and plain to a dunce. If a man's in a hole, you must pass round the hat. Were he jailbird or gentleman once. Is it any harm to wake you? It was about nine o'clock in the morning, and though it was Sunday morning, it was no harm to wake me. But the shearer had mistaken me for a deaf jackaroo who was staying at the shanty, and was something like me, and had good-naturedly shouted almost at the top of his voice, and he woke the whole shanty. Anyway, he woke three or four others who were sleeping on beds and stretchers, and one on a shakedown on the floor, in the same room. It had been a wet night, and the shanty was full of shearers from Big Billabong Shed, which had cut out the day before. My roommates had been drinking and gambling overnight, and they swore luridly, at the intruder for disturbing them. He was about six foot three or thereabout. He was loosely built, bony, sandy complexioned, and grey eyed. He wore a good humoured grin at most times, as I noticed later on. He was of a type of bushman that I always liked, the sort that seemed to get more good natured the longer they grow, yet are hard knuckled and would accommodate a man who wanted to fight or thrash a bully in a good natured way. The sort that liked to carry somebody's baby around, and cut wood, carry water, and do little things for overworked married bushwomen. He wore a saddle tweed sack suit two sizes too small for him, and his face, neck, great hands, and bony wrists were covered with sun blotches and freckles. I hope I ain't disturbing you, he shouted as he bent over my bunk. Well, there's a cove. You needn't shout, I interrupted. I'm not deaf. Oh, I beg your pardon, he shouted. I didn't know I was yelling. I thought you was the deaf feller. Oh, that's all right, I said. What's the trouble? Wait till them other chaps is done swearing, and I'll tell you, he said. He spoke with quiet, good-natured drawl, with something of the nasal twang, but tone and drawl distinctly Australian altogether apart from that of the Americans. "'I'll spit it out for Christ's sake, longin'!' yelled one-eyed Bogan, who had been the worst swearer in a rough shed, and he fell back on his bunk as if his previous remarks had exhausted him. "'It's that there sick jackaroo that was pickin' up at Big Billabong,' said the giraffe. "'He had a knock-off the first week, and he's been here ever since.' They're sending him away to hospital in Sydney by the special train. They're just going to take him up in the wagonette to the railway station, and I thought I might as well go round with the hat and get him a few bob. He's got a missus and kids in Sydney. You're always going round with your gory hat, growled Bogan. You'd blanky well take it round in hell. That's what he's doing, Bogan, muttered gentleman once on the shakedown with his face to the wall. The hat was a genuine cabbage tree, one of the sort that lasts a lifetime. It was well coloured, almost black in fact with weather and age, and it had a new strap round the base of the crown, 
I looked into it and saw a dirty pound note and some silver. I dropped in half a crown, which was more than I could spare, for I had only been a green hand at Big Billabong. Thank you, he said. Now then, you fellows. I wish you'd keep your hat on your head and your money in your pockets and your sympathy somewhere else, growled Jack Moonlight, as he raised himself painfully on his elbow and felt under his pillow for two half-crowns. Here, he said, is two half-cases. Chuck em in and let me sleep for God's sake. Gentleman once, the gambler, rolled round on his shakedown, bringing his good-looking, dissipated face from the wall. He had turned in in his clothes, and with considerable exertion, he shoved his hand down into the pocket of his trousers, which were a tight fit. He brought up a roll of pound notes and could find no silver. Here, he said to the giraffe, I might as well lay a quid. I'll chance it anyway. Chuck it in. You've got rats this morning, gentlemen once, growled the bogan. It ain't a blanky old thrice. Perhaps I have, said gentleman once and he turned to the wall again with his head on his arm. "'Now, Bogan, you might as well chuck in something,' said the giraffe. "'What's the matter with the jackaroo?' asked the Bogan, tugging his trousers from under the mattress. Moonlight said something in a low tone. "'The... he has,' said Bogan. "'Well, I pity the... here, I'll chuck in half a... quid.' and he dropped half a sovereign into the hat. The fourth man, who was known to his face as Baku Rot, and behind his back as the Mean Man, had been drinking all night, and not even Bogan's stump-splitting adjectives could rouse him. So Bogan got out of bed, and calling on us, as blanky female cattle, to witness what he was about to do, he rolled the drunkard over, prospected his pockets till he made up five shillings or a Caser in bush language, and chuck them into the hat. And Baku Rot is probably unconscious to this day that he was ever connected with an act of charity. The giraffe struck the deaf jackaroo in the next room. I heard the chaps cursing Longan for waking them, and Deafen for being, as they thought at first, the indirect cause of the disturbance. I heard the giraffe in his hat being condemned in other rooms and cursed along the veranda where more shearers were sleeping, and after a while I turned out. The giraffe was carefully fixing a mattress and pillows on the floor of a wagonette, and presently a man, who looked like a corpse, was carried out and lifted into the trap. As the wagonette started, the shanty-keeper, a fat, soulless-looking man, put his hand in his pocket and dropped a quid into the hat which was still going round, in the hands of the giraffe's mate, little Teddy Thompson, who was as far below medium height as the giraffe was above it. The giraffe took the horse's head and led him along on the most level parts of the road towards the railway station, and two or three chaps went along to help get the sick man into the train. The shearing season was over in that district, but I got a job of house-painting, which was my trade, at the Great Western Hotel, a two-storey brick place, and I stayed in Burke for a couple of months. The giraffe was a Victorian native from Bendigo. He was well known in Burke, and to many shearers who came through the great dry scrubs from hundreds of miles around. He was stakeholder, drunkard's banker, peacemaker where possible, 
referee or second to oblige the chaps when a fight was on, big brother or uncle to most of the children in town, final court of appeal when the youngsters had a dispute over a foot race at the school picnic, referee at their fights, and he was the stranger's friend. The fellow as knows can battle round for himself, he'd say, but I always like to do what I can for a hard-up stranger code. I was a green hand jackaroo once myself, and I know what it is. You're always bothering about other people, giraffe, said Tom Hall, the shearer's union secretary, who was only a couple of inches shorter than the giraffe. There's nothing in it. You can take it from me. I ought to know. Well, what's a fella to do? said the giraffe. I'm only hanging round here till shearing starts again, and a cove might as well be doing something. Besides, it ain't as if I was like a cove that had old people or a wife and kids to look after. I ain't got no responsibilities. A fella can't be doing nothing. Besides, I like to lend a helping hand when I can. Well, all I've got to say, said Tom, most of whose screw went in, borrowed quids, etc. All I've got to say is that you'll get no thanks, and you might blanky well starve in the end. There ain't no fear of me starving so long as I got me hands about me, and I ain't a cove as wants thanks, said the giraffe. He was always helping someone or something. Now it was a bit of a dance that we was getting up for the girls. Again it was Mrs. Smith, the woman whose husband was drowned in the flood in the Bogan River last Christmas, or that there poor woman down by the billabong. Her husband cleared out and left her with a lot of kids. Or Bill something, the bullocky, who was run over by his own wagon while he was drunk, and got his leg broke. Towards the end of his spree, one-eyed Bogan broke loose and smashed nearly all the windows of the carrier's arms, and next morning he was fined heavily at the police court. About dinner-time I encountered the giraffe and his hat, with two half-crowns in it, for a start. "'I'm sorry to trouble you,' he said, "'but one-eyed Bogan can't pay his fine, and I thought we might fix it up for him. He ain't half a bad sort of fellow when he ain't drinking. It's only when he gets too much booze in him.' After shearing, the hat usually started round with the giraffe's own dirty crumpled pound note in the bottom of it as a send-off. Later on it was half a sovereign, and so on down to half a crown and a shilling as he got short of stuff, till in the end he would borrow a few bob, which he always repaid after the next shearing, just to start the thing going. There were several yarns about him and his hat. T'was said that the hat had belonged to his father, whom he resembled in every respect, and it had been going round for so many years that the crown was worn as thin as paper by the quids, half-quids, cases, half-cases, bobs and tanners or sprats, to say nothing of the scrums, that had been chucked into it in its time and shaken up. They say that, when a new governor visited Burke, the giraffe happened to be standing on the platform close to the exit, grinning good-humouredly, and the local toady nudged him urgently and said in an awful whisper, Take off your hat. Why don't you take off your hat? Why? drawled the giraffe. He ain't hard up, is he? And they fondly cherish an anecdote to the effect that, when the one-man-one-vote bill was passed, 
or payment of members, or when the first Labour Party went in, I forget on which occasion they said it was, the giraffe was carried away by the general enthusiasm, got a few beers into him, chucked a quid into his hat, and sent it round. The boys contributed by force of habit, and contributed largely because of the victory and the beer. And when the hat came back to the giraffe, he stood holding it in front of him, with both hands, and stared blankly into it for a while. Then it dawned on him. Blowed if I haven't been and gone and took up a bloomin' collection for myself, he said. He was almost a teetotaler, but he stood his shout in reason. He mostly drank ginger beer. I ain't a fellow that boozes, but I ain't got nothing again chaps enjoying themselves, so long as they don't go too far. It was common for a man on the spree to say to him, Here, here's five quid. Look after it for me, giraffe, will you, till I get off the booze. His real name was Bob Brothers, and his bush names Longin, the giraffe, send round the hat, chuck in a bob, and ginger ale. Some years before, camels and Afghan drivers had been imported to the Burke district. The camels did very well in the dry country. They went right across country and carried everything from sardines to flooring boards. And the Teamsters loved the Afghans nearly as much as Sydney furniture makers love the cheap Chinese in the same line. They love them even as union shearers on strike love blacklegs brought up country to take their places. Now, the giraffe was a good straight unionist, but in cases of sickness or trouble, he was as apt to forget his unionism, as all bushmen are, at all times and for all time, to forget their creed. So, one evening, the giraffe blundered into the carrier's arms, of all places in the world, when it was full of teamsters. He had his hat in his hand and some small silver and coppers in it. Well, say, you fellas, there's a poor sick Afghan in the camp down there along the... A big brawny bullock driver took him firmly by the shoulders, or rather by the elbows, and ran him out before any damage was done. The giraffe took it as he took most things good-humouredly, but about dusk he was seen slipping down to the Afghan's camp with a billy of soup. I believe, remarked Tom Hall, that when the giraffe goes to heaven, and he's the only one of us as far as I can see that has a ghost of show, I believe that when he goes to heaven, the first thing he'll do will be to take his infernal hat round amongst the angels, getting up a collection for this damned world that he left behind. Well, I don't think there's so much to his credit after all, said Jack Mitchell Shearer. You see, the giraffe's ambitious. He likes public life, and that accounts for him shoving himself forward with his collections. As for bothering about people in trouble, that's only common curiosity. He's one of those chaps that are always shoving their noses into other people's troubles. And as for looking after sick men, why, there's nothing the giraffe likes better than pottering round a sick man and watching him and studying him. He's awfully interested in sick men, and they're pretty scarce out here. I'll tell you there's nothing he likes better, except maybe it's pottering round a corpse. I believe he'd ride forty miles to help and sympathise and pot around a funeral. The fact of the matter is... The giraffe is only enjoying himself with other people's troubles. That's all it is. It's only vulgar curiosity and selfishness. I set it down to ignorance, the way he was brought up. A few days after the Afghan incident, the giraffe and his hat had a run of luck. 
A German, one of a party who were building a new wooden bridge over the big billabong, was helping unload some girders from a truck at the railway station when a big log slipped on the skids and his leg was smashed badly. They carried him to the carrier's arms, which was the nearest hotel, and into a bedroom behind the bar and sent for the doctor. The giraffe was in evidence as usual. It was not that at all, said German Charlie, when they asked him if he was in much pain. It was not that at all. I don't care a damn for the pain. But this is the third year, and I was going home this year, after the contract, and the contract just commenced. That was the burden of his song all through, between his groans. There were a good few chaps sitting quietly about the bar and veranda when the doctor arrived. The giraffe was sitting at the end of the counter, on which he had laid his hat while he wiped his face, neck and forehead with a big speckled sweat rag. It was a very hot day. The doctor, a good-hearted young Australian, was heard saying something. Then German Charlie, in a voice that rung with pain, Make that leg right, doctor. Quick, this is the third plotty year, and I must go home. The doctor asked him if he was in great pain. Never mind the plotty pain, doctor. Never mind the plotty pain. That was nothing. Make that leg well quick, doctor. This was the last contract, and I was going home this year. Then the words jerked out of him by physical agony. The girl was waiting three year, and by God, I must go home. The publican, Waddy Braithwaite, known as Waddy Broadwaite, or more familiarly, Waddy Bothwise, turned over the giraffe's hat in a tired, bored sort of way, dropped a quid into it, and nodded resignedly at the giraffe. The giraffe caught up the hint and the hat with alacrity. The hat went all round town, so to speak and as soon as his leg was firm enough not to come loose on the road, German Charlie went home. It was well known that I contributed to the Sydney Bulletin and several other papers. The giraffe's bump of reverence was very large and swelled especially for sick men and poets. He treated me with much more respect than is due from a bushman to a man, and with an odd sort of extra gentleness I sometimes fancied, but one day he rather surprised me. I'm sorry to trouble you, he said in a shamefaced way. I don't know as you'd go in for sportin', but one-eyed bogan, Barku Rot, is going to have a bit of a scrap down the billabong this evening, and... A bit of a what? I asked. A bit of a fight to the finish, he said apologetically. And the chaps is trying to fix up a fiver to put some life into the thing. There's bad blood between one-eyed bogan and Barku Rot, and it won't do them any harm to have it out. It was a great fight, I remember. There must have been a couple of score blood-soaked handkerchiefs, or sweat rags, buried in a hole on the field of battle, and the giraffe was busy the rest of the evening helping to patch up the principals. Later on he took up a small collection for the loser, who happened to be Barku Rot, in spite of the advantage of an eye. The Salvation Army lassie, who went round with the war cry, nearly always sold the giraffe three copies. 
a new chum parson who wanted a subscription to build or enlarge a chapel or something sought the assistance of the giraffe's influence with his mates well said the giraffe i ain't a church goer myself i ain't what you might call a religious cove but i'll be glad to do what i can to help you i don't suppose i can do much i ain't been to church since i was a kitty the parson was shocked but later on he learned to appreciate the giraffe and his mates and to love australia for the bushman's sake and it was he who told me the above anecdote the giraffe helped fix some stalls for a catholic church bazaar and some of the chaps chaffed him about it in the union office you'll be taking up a collection for a joss house down in the chinaman's camp next said tom hall in conclusion well i ain't got nothing again the roman catholics said the giraffe and father o'donovan's a very decent sort of cove he stuck up for the unions all right in the strike anyway he wouldn't be irish if he wasn't someone commented i carried swags once for six months with a fellow that was a catholic and he was a very straight fellow and a girl i know turned catholic to marry a chap that had got her into trouble and she was always just the same to me after as she was before besides i like to help everything that's going on tom hall and one or two others went out hurriedly to have a drink but we all loved the giraffe he was very innocent and very humorous especially when he meant to be most serious and philosophical some of them bush girls was regular tomboys he said to me solemnly one day some of them was too cheeky altogether i remember once i was stopping at a place they was sort of relations of mine and they put me to sleep in a room off the veranda where there was a glass door and no blinds and the first morning the girls they was sort of cousins of mine they come giggling and fooling round outside the door on the veranda kept me in bed till nearly ten o'clock i had to put me trousers on under the bedclothes in the end but i got back on em the next night he reflected how did you do that bob i asked why well, i went to bed in me trousers one day i was on a plank painting the ceiling of the bar of the great western hotel i was anxious to get the job finished the work had been kept back most of the day by chaps handing up long beers to me and drawing my attention to the alleged fact that i was putting on the paint wrong side out i was slapping it on over the last few boards when i'm very sorry to trouble you i always seem to be troubling you but there's that there woman and them girls i looked down about the first time i'd looked down on him and there was the giraffe with his hat brim up on the plank and two half crowns in it oh that's all right bob i said and i dropped in half a crown there were shearers in the bar and presently there was some barracking it appeared that that there woman and them girls were strange women in the local as well as the biblical sense of the word who had come from sydney at the end of the shearing season and had taken a cottage on the edge of the scrub on the outskirts of the town there had been trouble this week in connection with a row at their establishment and they had been fined warned off by the police and turned out by their landlord this is a bit too red-hot giraffe said one of the shearers them has made enough out of us coves they've got plenty of stuff don't you fret let em go to i'm blanked if i give a sprat 
"'They ain't got their fares to Sydney,' said the giraffe. "'And what's more, the little un's sick, and two of them has kids in Sydney.' "'How the... do you know?' "'Why, one of them come to me and told me all about it.' There was an involuntary guffaw. "'Look here, Bob,' said Billy Woods, the rouseabout secretary, kindly. "'Don't you make a fool of yourself. "'You'll have all the chaps laughing at you. "'Those girls are only working you for all you're worth. "'I suppose one of them came crying and whining to you. "'Don't you bother about them. "'You don't know them. "'They can pump water at a moment's notice. "'You haven't had any experience with women yet, Bob.' "'She didn't come whining and crying to me,' said the giraffe, "'dropping his twanging drawl a little. "'She looked me straight in the face.' and told me about it. Well, say, giraffe, said Boxatrix, what have you been doing? You been down there on the nod? I'm surprised at you, giraffe. And he pretends to be so gory, soft and innocent too, growled the bogan. We know all about you, giraffe. Look here, giraffe, said Mitchell the shearer. I'd never have thought it of you. We all thought you were the only virgin west the river, I always thought you were a moral young man. You mustn't think that because your conscience is pricking you, everyone else's is. I ain't had anything to do with them, said the giraffe, drawling again. I ain't a cove that goes in for that sort of thing. But other chaps has, and I think they might as well help them out of their fix. They're a rotten crowd, said Billy Woods. You don't know em, Bob. Don't bother about them. They're not worth it. Put your money in your pocket, you'll find a better use for it before next shearing. Better shout, giraffe, said Boxatrix. Now, in spite of the giraffe's softness, he was the hardest man in Burke to move when he decided on what he thought was the fair thing to do. Another peculiarity of his was that on occasion, such, for instance, as saying a few words at a strike meeting, he would straighten himself, drop the twang, and rope in his drawl, so to speak. "'Well, look here, you chaps,' he said now. "'I don't know anything about them women. "'I suppose they're bad, "'but I don't suppose they're worse than men as made them. "'All I know is that there's four women turned out, "'without any stuff, "'and every woman in Burke and the police "'and the law against them. "'And the fact that they is women "'is against them most of all. "'You don't expect them to hump their swags to Sydney.' Why, only I ain't got the stuff I wouldn't trouble you. I'd pay their fares myself. Look, he said, lowering his voice. There they are now, and one of the girls is crying. Don't let them see you looking. I dropped softly from the plank and peeped out with the rest. They stood by the fence on the opposite side of the street, a bit up towards the railway station, with their portmanteau and bundles at their feet. One girl leant with her arms on the fence rail and her face buried in them. Another was trying to comfort her. The third girl and the woman stood facing our way. The woman was good-looking. She had a hard face, but it might have been made hard. The third girl seemed half defiant, half inclined to cry. Presently she went to the other side of the girl who was crying on the fence and put her arm around her shoulder. The woman suddenly turned her back on us and stood looking away, over the paddocks. The hat went round. Billy Woods was first, then Box of Tricks, and then Mitchell. 
Billy contributed with eloquent silence. I was only joking, Giraffe, said Boxer Tricks, dredging his pockets for a couple of shillings. It was some time after the shearing, and most of the chaps were hard up. Ah, oh, well, sighed Mitchell, there's no help for it. If the giraffe would take up a collection to import some decent girls to this god-forgotten hole, there might be some sense in it. It's bad enough for the giraffe to undermine our religious prejudices, and tempt us to take a morbid interest in sick chows and Afghans and blacklegs and widows, but when he starts mixing us up with strange women, it's time to buck. And he prospected his pockets and contributed two shillings, some odd pennies, and a pinch of tobacco dust. I don't mind helping the girls, but I'm damned if I'll give a penny to help the old, said Tom Hall. Well, she was a girl once herself, drawled the giraffe. The giraffe went round to the other pubs and to the union officers, and when he returned he seemed satisfied with the plate, but troubled about something else. I don't know what to do for them tonight, he said. None of the pubs or boarding houses will hear of them and there ain't no empty houses, and the women is all again em. Not all, said Alice, the big handsome barmaid from Sydney. Come here, Bob. She gave the giraffe half a sovereign, and a look for which some of us would have paid ten pounds, had we the money, and had the look been transferable. Wait a minute, Bob, she said, and she went in to speak to the landlord. There's an empty bedroom at the end of the store in the yard, she said when she came back. They can camp there for tonight, if they behave themselves. You'd better tell them, Bob. Thank you, Alice, said the giraffe. Next day, after work, the giraffe and I drifted together and down by the river in the cool of the evening and sat on the edge of the steep, drought-parched bank. I heard you saw your lady friends off this morning, Bob, I said, and was sorry I said it even before he answered. Oh, they ain't no friends of mine, he said. Only four poor devils of women. I thought they mightn't like to stand waiting with the crowd on the platform, so I just offered to get their tickets and told them to wait round the back of the station till the bell rung. And what do you think they did, Harry? He went on with an exasperatingly unintelligent grin. Why, they wanted to kiss me. Did they? Yes, and they would have done it too if I hadn't been so long. Why, I'm blessed if they didn't kiss me hands. You don't say so. God's truth. Somehow I didn't like to go on the platform with them after that. Besides, they was crying, and I can't stand women crying. But some of the chaps put them into an empty carriage. He thought a moment. Then, there's some terrible good-hearted fellas in the world, he reflected. I thought so, too. Bob, I said. You're a single man. Why don't you get married and settle down? Well, he said, I ain't got no wife and kids, that's a fact. But it ain't my fault. He may have been right about the wife. But I thought of the look that Alice had given him, and... You'll seem to like me right enough, he said. But I don't go no further than that. The trouble is that I'm so long and I always seem to get shook after little girls. At least there was one little girl in Bendigo that was properly gone on. And wouldn't she have you? Well, it seems not. Did you ask her? Oh, yes. I asked her right enough. Well, and what did she say? She said it'd be ridiculous for her to be seen trotting alongside of a chimbley like me. Perhaps she didn't mean that. 
there are any amount of little women who like tall men i thought of that too afterwards perhaps she didn't mean it that way i suppose the fact of the matter was that she didn't cotton on to me and wanted to let me down easy she didn't want to hurt me feelings if you understand she was a very good-hearted little girl there's some terrible tall fellows where i come from and i know two as married little girls he seemed a hopeless case sometimes he said sometimes i wish i wasn't so blessed long is that there deaf jackaroo he reflected presently he's something in the same fix about girls as i am he's too deaf and i'm too long how do you make that out i asked he's got three girls to my knowledge and as for being deaf why he gasses more than any man in the town and knows more of what's going on than old mother brindle the washerwoman well look at that now said the giraffe slowly who'd have thought it he never told me he had three girls and as for hearing news i always tell him anything that's going on that i think he doesn't catch he told me his trouble was that whenever he went out with a girl people could hear what they were saying at least they could hear what she was saying to him and draw their own conclusions he said he said he went out one night with a girl and some of the chaps foxed them and heard her saying don't to him and put it all around town what did she say don't for i asked he didn't tell me that but i suppose he was kissing or hugging her or something bob i said presently didn't you try the little girl in bendigo a second time no he said what was the use she was a good little girl and i wasn't going to go bothering her i ain't the sort of cove that goes hanging around when he isn't wanted somehow i couldn't stay about bendigo after she gave me the hint so i thought i'd come over and have a knock round on this side for a year or two and you never wrote to her no what was the use of going pestering her with letters i know what trouble letters give me when i have to answer one she'd have only had to tell me the straight truth in a letter and it wouldn't have done me any good but i've pretty well got over it by this time a few days later i went to sydney the giraffe was the last i shook hands with from the carriage window and he slipped something in a piece of paper into my hand i hope you won't be offended he drawled some of the chaps thought you mightn't be too flush of stuff you've been shouting a good deal so they put a quid or two together i thought it might help you to have a bit of a fly around in sydney I was back in Burke before next shearing. On the evening of my arrival, I ran against the giraffe. He seemed strangely shaken over something, but he kept his hat on his head. Would you mind taking a stroll as far as the billabong? He said. I've got something I'd like to tell you. His big brown sunburnt hands trembled and shook as he took a letter from his pocket and opened it. I've just got a letter he said a letter from that little girl at bendigo seems it was all a mistake i'd like you to read it somehow i feel as if i'd want to talk to a fellow and i'd rather talk to you than any of them other chaps it was a good letter from a big-hearted little girl she'd been breaking her heart for the great ass all these months it seemed that he had left bendigo without saying good-bye to her somehow i couldn't bring myself to it he said when i taxed him with it 
She had never been able to get his address until last week, and then she got it from a Burke man who had gone south. She called him an awful long fool, which he was, without the slightest doubt, and she implored him to write and come back to her. And will you go back, Bob? I asked. My oath. I'll take the train tomorrow, only I ain't got the stuff. But I've got a stand in Big Billabong Shed, and I'll soon knock a few quid together. I'll go back as soon as ever shearin's over. I'm going to ride away to her tonight. The giraffe was the ringer of Big Billabong Shed that season. His tallies averaged a hundred and twenty a day. He only sent his hat round once during shearing, and it was noticed that he hesitated at first and only contributed half a crown. But then it was a case of a man being taken from the shed by the police for wife desertion. It's always that way, commented Mitchell. Those soft, good-hearted fellows always end up by getting hard and selfish. The world makes them so. It's the thought of the soft fools they've been that finds out sooner or later and makes them repent. Like as not, the giraffe will be the meanest man out back before he's done. When Big Billabong cut out, and we got back to Burke with our dusty swags and dirty checks, I spoke to Tom Hall. Look here, Tom, I said. That long fool the giraffe has been breaking his heart for a little girl in Bendigo ever since he's been out back, and she's been breaking her heart for him, and the ass didn't know it till he got a letter from her just before Big Billabong started. He's going home tomorrow. That evening, Tom stole the giraffe's hat. I suppose it'll turn up in the morning, said the giraffe. I don't mind the lark, he added, but it does seem a bit red hot for the chaps to collar a cove's hat and a fella going away for good, perhaps, in the morning. Mitchell started the thing going with a quid. It's worth it, he said, to get rid of him. We'll have some peace now. There won't be so many accidents or women in trouble when the giraffe and his blessed hat are gone. Anyway, he's an eyesore in the town, and he's getting on my nerves for one. Come on, you sinners, chuck em in. We're only taking quids and half-quids. About daylight next morning, Tom Hall slipped into the giraffe's room at the carrier's arms. The giraffe was sleeping peacefully. Tom put the hat on a chair by his side. The collection had been a record one, and, besides the packet of money in the crown of the hat, there was a silver-mounted pipe with case, the best that could be bought in Burke, a gold brooch and several trifles, besides an ugly valentine of a long man in his shirt walking the room with a twin on each arm. Tom was about to shake the giraffe by the shoulder when he noticed a great foot with about half a yard of big-boned ankle and shank sticking out at the bottom of the bed. The temptation was too great. Tom took up the hairbrush and with the back of it he gave a sharp rap on the point of an ingrowing toenail and slithered. We heard the giraffe swearing good-naturedly for a while, and then there was a pregnant silence. He was staring at the hat, we supposed. We were all up at the station to see him off. It was rather a long wait. The giraffe edged me up to the other end of the platform. He seemed overcome. There's... there's some terrible good-hearted fellows in this world, he said. You mustn't forget em, Harry. When you make a big name writing, I'm, well, I'm blessed if I don't feel as if I was just going to blubber. I was glad he didn't. The giraffe blubbering would have been a spectacle. I steered him back to his friends. 
Ain't you going to kiss me, Bob? said the great Weston's big handsome barmaid as the bell rang. Well, I don't mind kissing you, Alice, he said, wiping his mouth. But I'm going to be married, you know. And he kissed her fair on the mouth. There's nothing like getting into practice, he said, grinning around. We thought he was improving wonderfully, but at the last moment something troubled him. Look here, you chaps, he said hesitatingly with his hand in his pocket. I don't know what I'm going to do with all this stuff. There's that there poor washerwoman that scalded her legs, lifting the boiler of clothes off the fire. We shoved him into the carriage. He hung, about half of him, out the window, wildly waving his hat, till the train disappeared in the scrub. And, as I sit here, writing by lamplight at midday, in the midst of a great city of shallow social sham, of hopeless squalid poverty, of ignorant selfishness, cultured or brutish, and of noble and heroic endeavour frowned down or callously neglected, I am almost aware of a burst of sunshine in the room, and a long form leaning over my chair, and... Excuse me for troubling you. I'm always troubling you. But there's that there poor woman. And I wish I could immortalise him. End of Send Round the Hat by Henry Lawson.